0: Today, we're talking to Desikan, CPO and CTO at Capital One Software, about how they're democratizing cloud data management. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. When I saw the opportunity come up to get to talk about what's going on over at Capital One and their technology, I said, yeah. sign me up. That's where I want to start. I'm just curious, what is going on in technology at Capital One?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, first let me do a very quick intro so people know who <laughs> I am. Desikan Madhavanur, I'm the Chief Technology and Product Officer for Capital One Software, which is like the B2B enterprise software business within Capital One. So that's what I run. And uh, yeah, lots of stuff happening at Capital One, right? You know, as a company, we're always, you know, breaking forward, we're leaning forward, we take, take a look at new technology as they emerge. We were the first to the cloud. We were the first to adopt a lot of uh, data-driven decision-making before most other people did it. So you can expect us in that way to be leaning in in lots of different domains, from user experience to data. Uh, you know, we're all over the place here, you know, moving ahead and experimenting constantly and pushing new innovations. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's another interesting year at break next week, I have to tell you.
0: What's taking up most of your time right now?
1: So I'm specifically in the software division, right? So for me, I look at the world in two ways, right? On the one hand, I look at Capital One and what we have done uh, in terms of building assets to manage our infrastructure in the cloud, our data in the cloud, uh, standardizing so that we can leverage cloud without creating bottlenecks. And then I look around and see my customers. I talk to a lot of companies in various industries, not just in fintech, uh, but I talk to people in the healthcare business, in pharma. Uh, in consumer goods, uh, in e-commerce. And I see them struggling with things that we have solved over the last three, four, five years. And for me, the excitement is, how can I translate uh, what we have done into tangible assets that can help these companies move forward? And how do we turn that into a commercial business if the opportunity exists? So I'm on the lookout. So on the one hand, it's, it's very interesting. I come from the startup uh, world. Uh, you're building new stuff from scratch. And here I'm sitting with a bunch of assets that I know perform at Fortune 100 scale within the bank. And I have exactly the same problems out there in the industry across so many different companies. And for me, it's like, how do I take, what's the most valuable thing that I have to take from what I've got? How do I do it in a way that is truly commercial, truly enterprise software uh, that works across customers? And how do I now turn that into something that I can go deliver and implement? So that's the exciting part of my job. Uh, I take a lot of pride in doing that every day.
0: Do you have something yet?
1: Yeah, we have uh, one product uh, in already in production. Uh, it's called Slingshot. So just to give you a background, we've been a, a huge user of Snowflake. We're one of the earliest users of Snowflake, started in 2017, probably still one of the top three biggest consumers of that uh, that technology. To the point where our scale probably, if I can tell you, it's over a million queries a day from over hundreds of different applications 6,000 plus analysts hit it on a daily basis. Now, how do you run this effectively? How do you run this efficiently from a cost perspective, from a performance perspective, from a governance perspective? So over the last four years, given Snowflake itself was, you know, growing and creating functions, it was not the most well-managed out of the box as a new product in the, in, the, in the domain. So we built a whole set of technologies uh, to optimize, to make it work in a way that you can actually onboard hundreds, thousands of users safely and cost-effectively. Now, it produced tremendous success for us in terms of savings, in terms of time, as well as dollars. And we productized that capability uh, as Slingshot. It's now available to try from the Snowflake marketplace. And we have that uh, out there. We have multiple customers uh, in production. And uh, so that's our first product that's already in production. And now we're working on the pipeline for the next set that need to come out. Uh, you know, as we get more deeper into managing data in the cloud.
0: Are you going to spin these out into their own companies?
1: No, at this point, we are not contemplating that. I mean, you know, there is a lot of things that we have to do. Right now, there is a big advantage for these things to stay here within Capital One as a business and deliver them. Because, for instance, a lot of the tech, we leverage internal platforms, even for building the software that we ship. Uh, whether it's uh, the DevOps side, whether it's the security side, lots of stuff is built in based on the technology that is proven in Capital One. That's why. Number two, Capital One is probably the biggest tech brand name that's not purely a tech company. That's in the industry. So what we do, we have a huge uh, advantage as Capital One because the software we build is proven to be cloud-first, It's proven to be highly scalable. Uh, It's it's battle-tested at probably the largest scale you can find. So there is so much goodness uh, for this business
0: to be a Capital One business that we don't contemplate anything else at this time. So how do you handle the executive structure of it? Like who's running sales for Slingshot? How does that integrate in with with what you guys are doing? So
1: it's a business unit. So in every sense, Capital One Software has its own uh, uh, sales team. It has its own product management and engineering team right? It receives funding like any other business unit does, right? So without going into too much organizational detail, right? There is a lot of independence and recognition within the company that this is something that we are building not to serve ourselves, but to serve other customers, right? So there is a clear recognition that it'll need a a different clock speed and a different set of uh, talent. So, you know, the reason I'm here, I've been here 10 months is because they brought me in, because I have a lot of experience in the enterprise software space. So there's a recognition of that. So yeah, it is a business unit in the true sense of what you would call uh from a from a business perspective. So we have our ability, our go to market, our engineering, our product management. Uh we manage uh our scope, our roadmap, and we deliver our customers the experience that that they seek, obviously operating under the uh, you know, the, the capital one overall uh you know umbrella and organization. So that's the way it works. So there's a lot of synergy that we get benefit from. But where we need the ability to make decisions, we have that as well.
0: How do you figure out if there's enough of a market to justify it? Well, I'll we use the standard. You know, Capital One, as a
1: company, prides itself in in, in being very consummative. So there's a lot of customer testing, validation, strategy development that happens everywhere within Capital One. So we actually benefit from that. So within Capital One software, obviously, the way it does uh, it manifests itself as. We take something that's worked really well and we apply, we go meet customers, talk to customers, get feedback from customers to see how does this translate. Then we come back and look at what would it take to take what we've got to make it this enterprise product. Is this going to work? And there's all kinds of constraints there. There's a product fit, which is what uh, you would think, Uh, but there is even other things. When you have a broad array of things you can do, you have actually a lot of choice. So there is actually a process of prioritizing, is this something I want to do right now? Is this a pressing problem now? Does this have wide market uh, uh, appeal? Uh, so we, we do a lot of that uh, before we decide where we go. And then it goes through the normal software development process. We have alpha customers, we get feedback. We go through phase gate. It's almost like funding from a startup perspective. Do we fund this thing into a beta? And then it goes to beta. And Do we fund this thing into production, to a launch? So that's the face gates that we use, just like uh, anybody outside. But this is a, you know, we have the benefit of taking advantage of very well-developed software development life cycles uh, that we have within Capital One across the board. So uh, normal customer validation, normal uh, product market sizing from a strategy perspective that works in card, that works in insurance, works here as well.
0: And How did you learn how to do all this?
1: How did I learn how to do this? I've spent uh, about 20, 22 years... Uh, in uh, enterprise software. I've had, uh, you know, it's an interesting journey. Like I started and my first big uh, win was uh, part of a startup called Edo Open. And uh, this is before the hyperscalers were real. So I had to handle the, the, the cloud stacks, uh, you yeah. know, in the, in the private cloud world. And uh, so I, I cut my teeth there. It was uh, solving how to optimize supply chain networks now that we have the internet and we can actually connect supplies and customers together. So up until that time, you optimize factories, you optimize warehouses independently, right? You never could take advantage of the fact that there is data that's changing in the demand that should impact supply, because these were not connected. They were sitting in different silos. With the internet, we were able to connect these things. So this software optimized the network. That was the first thing we did, led to a, uh, a, a, an IPO, successful IPO on NASDAQ in 2011. So there, I was able to understand the use case and how technology and changes in technology make things possible, right? And how do you put that together? And obviously, a lot of engineering around what makes a good, manageable cloud stack, right? Uh, you know, we had, we had my big, big customers, so we did, I did that. Then in my next journey, I went to a unit, uh, part of Computer Associates, now Broadcom, that focused on cloud management, because the experience of doing the use case translated into how does the technology help promote broadly. So I did that, and that was a good, good experience. Then I went back into the industry with a company called Blue Yonder most recently. And there, that company, we moved it to the cloud. And beyond that, it is the advent of AIML, of big data and crunching. So here I was using modern technology around demand forecasting and other areas, predictions, to solve supply chain problems. Right Again, back in the industry. And as I finished that, we had a great exit. We got acquired uh, a year and a half ago by Panasonic. So that, that was a great exit. When we finished that, uh, I was like, okay, now there is massive opportunity to take this data infrastructures that we worked on and make them more broadly available. So there is a pattern here of use case driving you know, innovation in tech and then democratizing that tech. Then new use cases are driving more tech. And now for me, as I look here at Capital One, the reason I'm here is it's an unbelievable opportunity to democratize data management in the cloud, which is going to be the biggest problem. Cloud solved a lot of problems in the space. It's created, or several problems that we thought we solved a long time ago have reemerged. And uh, data management doing that right is going to be absolutely critical. I think uh, I'm super excited to be here. And, and this slingshot is a first example of just cost optimization, right? It's just one part of that, performance optimization. There's so much more to do.
0: Well, what's a problem that we thought we solved, but it's re-emerged?
1: I can give you a few, right? Let me tell you, the first time we had massive uh, opportunity to use data to make decisions, like I told you before, was when the internet came about and all of a sudden you could connect uh, silos and now you could optimize networks rather than silos. Nodes, right? That was great. That led to problems of integration, problems of non-standardization, problems of data quality. And the way we solved it at that time was locking it in with RDBMS, right? With oracles and DB2s, standardize the schema, put a central IT team in place. Basically, we created central procedures, teams, and policies that mandated that everything be standardized. That way, we got around it for a little while. Now, with cloud, it's it's changed, right? The cloud stack is very different. Here, you have, if you think about it, that that paradigm doesn't work anymore because you have to federate. First of all, relational databases as a technology doesn't scale to the volumes you're talking about. So that's that's an architectural problem. But if you put that aside... If you just look at the management problem, every team within the enterprises have the flexibility to go leverage technology that is custom-built for that particular use case. If you have a fast streaming use case, you can get streaming databases. If you have a large data crunching predictions forecasting, you can get, go, go get the best uh, big data stacks, right? So now what's happened is flexibility and freedom is what's coming in as a way to solve in the cloud it's re-emerging the exact same problems that the relational databases thought that they solved. Number one, you have no single, no company, very few companies have standardized completely in a single public cloud, which means you have data sitting in legacy systems inside the enterprise. You have data sitting in multiple clouds. And now you have a very weird architecture trying to integrate this, you know, really bespoke architectures to integrate them, which goes back to the time before standardization. That's one problem, integration problems. Number two, the thing that we thought we absolutely solved was data discovery. If you go into an enterprise and you want to know the MDM, master data system that could tell you where the data was, today, data is everywhere. And you really, the data discovery problem is reemerged as a big thing. Many companies struggle from not knowing where data is. Let's say you can get that data. So let's go to the next one. Today, there's multiple copies of data that teams create in different stacks for the same set of elements right? There's so much replication, fragmentation happening, which means you do not know if the copy that you're looking at that you discovered has no errors, is clean, has no latency, is current. None of that is obvious. So, which means you've brought back the data quality issues that, again, we thought we had solved is, again, reemerged. So, if you look at it, and then, finally, fragmentation, right? There's so much fragmentation of data and tools that governance is back to being a problem. Compliance is back to being a problem. So, if you think about it, Cloud made certain things super easy in the data space. If you want to be a data driven organization, it's really simplified it. You can get storage at the click of a button. You can get compute at the click of a button. You can get visualization tools at the click of a button. Uh, transformation tools at the click of a button. Everything is easy. And everything has more than one choice. So it made building data driven applications super easy. What has it led to? The reemergence of the biggest problems we thought we had solved data quality. Data identification, detection, where is the data sitting? You know, that is a big problem. Data governance is a big big problem, right? So we have got all these problems that we thought we solved coming back in force with cloud. So it's, it's a big advantage, cloud, for data build, building data-driven applications. It's produced the biggest challenges that companies are now facing. A lot of inefficiencies are uh, sitting in every enterprise. That's precisely the opportunity I want to take advantage of uh,
0: here. Does Slingshot address all of these or just a couple of them?
1: No, Slingshot is very focused, right? Slingshot looks at one thing. It looks at the fact that in this process, when you onboard several users and several applications into a Snowflake ecosystem, now with that flexibility and freedom you've given to the teams, we have tremendous inefficiencies. We have warehouses that are not sized correctly. We have queries that come from applications that are not uh, written well. So all of a sudden, this federation of responsibility in a Snowflake ecosystem means you're running You have serious cost overages, you have governance challenges. What Slingshot does is solve that problem. It goes in and optimizes both the warehouses and the infrastructure itself that you're running through schedules. How often do you need a large warehouse? Can you turn this into a small warehouse when you don't need the large warehouse? Can you actually put it in a, uh, in a mode where it's not costing much, right? And then you have serious SLAs. You have performance requirements. Can we actually right-size it? And go hit the performance isolation well when we have to. So, all of that, that is on the infrastructure side. And then on the workload side, queries, the applications that bring in. Why are you doing full table scans? What are you doing that you should actually be doing in memory that you're not doing correctly? So, it right sizes the workload. So, it essentially takes cost inefficiencies and governance problems out of the Snowflake ecosystem that customers have. So, it's a pretty limited first uh, solution, very effective, but limited there. Now you expand it to all ecosystems. You expand it beyond performance and cost to all sorts of management problems. Now in lies the big price, right? To go, to go, uh, so. Well,
0: it sounds like there's a lot of opportunity over there to <laughs> solve yeah, a lot of these is. problems. <laughs> As you're yeah. doing this and you're building teams and you're growing people and you're solving these difficult problems, when you're looking at the next generation of, of leaders that you can invest into, like this people that are showing signs, uh, what qualities, what signs do you look for or behaviors exhibited in people that you think to yourself, you know, I should invest some time into them. They're going to become a great leader one day. Yeah. And
1: this is a very, very important question and uh, one that we ponder. A lot of times, you know, in my I'm guilty of this, you rely on expertise. You want to bring in people who know something really well, right? Uh, The thing that we have been taught as a collective group and I have learned this lesson multiple times the average life cycle of a, uh, a tool, a system uh, in today's data-driven world is, is measured in, in, in 10, 12, 18 months, perhaps three, four years, before it gets replaced by the next thing. Right? That is how quickly uh, the thing switches. So I look for people who demonstrate clear problem-solving skills. like you know from the ground up, they can go solve problems and uh, judgment. The ability to understand, is this going to be a market? Is it not going to be a market? So those things take precedence over knowing one domain or a single product or a single ecosystem really well. And uh, just in the last 10 to 12 months, I've done two pivots, right? i move around like This seems like a more important idea. And if I don't have the ability of leaders to quickly catch on, make those judgment calls, turn, and, and then start working, it becomes problematic. So You know, obviously, we bring in people who have strong skills in specific areas, like whether it's coding skills or whether it's automation skills. Those are all very important. The true leaders that we look at and say, these people are going to really make a difference are ones that exhibit the ability to, you know, to have quick judgments and the ability to pivot quickly and not have a big learning curve. So that's what we look for continuously. How easy is this for this person to go from problem A to problem B and be effective right away? That is that is something that we look for, and I think uh, that that ability is uh, is going to create the next set of leaders because there's not going to be one. There's, we're not going to have an Oracle generation where entire generation works on one tool and goes into retirement. I, I think that that time is is behind. We we're going to have the people who who are who have to you know get on, get trained, get educated, um, move on to the next one, and and drive innovation there. That that's the generation we live in. So that's what we look for.
0: Yeah, I've noticed that it used to be a lot like that with the Oracle and then people almost shifted that to stacks. Like, oh, I know this yeah. stack. I know these yeah, set of exactly. tools together. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. well, what's the next abstraction?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's that's exactly it. Yeah. And, you know, these abstractions themselves are very, are, are changing, right? And then depending on the use case, they're changing very, very, very fast. So, uh, I, I'm with you on that, man. I mean, it's, it's this, is, this is evolving uh, in front of our eyes. I think, especially in the future where, uh, a lot of the work that we do today, which is specialized, become commoditized. Judgment, decision-making, understanding the user experience, translating that into product uh, need. Now, that is going to become the primary skill because pretty much everything else is going to get commoditized. So, yeah. Say
0: that one more time so everybody can take that in. What's the primary skill? <laughs> the primary skill is
1: going to come down to the ability to understand customer need, turn that into real experiences, Because the actual creation of those experiences, the grunt work that we today call specialized, that's gonna get commoditized.
0: Yeah. I remember when I realized that I'd spent the first, you know, seventeen years of my career writing software. Yeah. (laughs) And then I realized I'm the construction worker. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I was like, It's important, absolutely necessary, but like writing the code all day, you're just laying you're laying the infrastructure, you're laying the groundwork of what is the thing that's valuable and it's completed. State of bringing value to the market, and so I just climbed up the stack. I was like, "All right, if I I really like this discipline, but I like more helping people with problems. Yeah. And if I can apply all of my knowledge of this discipline to helping people with problems, and you know, it's yeah. like what you're doing. It's it's yeah. a, it's that's a nice exactly pairing. that's like yeah.
1: we, we, we're doing two sides of the same coin. That's exactly what I'm here trying to do as well. Which is problems that are solved in certain places. How do they translate well into emerging problems that are coming out there? And how do we pivot and solve those problems? And that is going to be the name of the game here. You know, people who can't have the clock cycles that's, that turns in an environment where an ecosystem, even a full stack doesn't last more than three, four years and gets completely replaced by the next thing, uh, you're not going to make it. Uh, so that, that, that becomes very, very important. That ability to pivot, the judgment and understanding customer need, market fit, turning that into, you know, real experience. that's going to be the, the next big thing.
0: Tell me about the pivots that you made on Slingshot.
1: Well, there are a few things that we did, right? For instance, let me tell you, usually you're very customer driven. So you go after the first set of customers, what do they need? That's that's the journey that we take when we have that new money. Product coming on. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right? You got you gotta get new products, you gotta come in, you gotta get people to start paying. So think Chart attacks the problem of optimization. Now optimization is a very loosely used term. It means different things to different people, right? For some people, optimization is let me operate at the lowest possible cost. Right? So we went and did this. But the more you climb to mission-critical problems that are being run by Snowflake now, optimization is not just that. For some people, in fact, cost doesn't even factor. Optimization is, how can I optimally deploy capacity to meet all my SLAs? So I meet all my customer needs. So there, it's a very performance-driven journey. And in most cases, what we realize is a trade-off. So the big pivot that we have done is not only to add performance-based optimization as as a primary requirement, just as important as cost-based, but then realizing the trade-off is not really a pure deterministic decision. You have to have what-if scenarios. You got to tell people, if you added more capacity, you could meet these SLAs. Is that more important? So there is now a scenario planning capability. So these are all things just within the optimization model within one ecosystem you learn uh, in a matter of six months. You go from, hey, I'm going to help you reduce the cost to, oh, no, no, I'm going to help you optimize the performance, too. Well, I'm going to give you the tools so you can make the right decisions, and then we'll learn from it, and then next time you come in, we'll tell you what's the more like, most likely solution that you should go after. So this is a learning process. I wouldn't call them massive pivots, but these are areas where what we learn has gone in and fundamentally changed how we build certain aspects of our software. Right? So uh, you know, a couple of quick examples.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, what you mean to tell me, spending time with your customer makes a better product? (laughs) Right? Yeah. No, I love it, though. I'm Mm. learning a lot here, too.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, customers, you know, most of the times that I've made decisions in my life, not just here, and I look back and said, hmm, I should have done this differently. That was a customer feedback that I overlooked. Mm. So, you know, (laughs) that is so you know we, we take this very very seriously. We have a real process, even in our early stages. We are very driven by having good processes, and one of those processes is how do we deal with customers? How do we get feedback? Uh, how do we incorporate that feedback? Uh, and how do we pivot quickly based on that? So we, we do this in a, in a in a in a clock cycle that you'd be surprised that we can actually do this. You know we deploy you know every two to three weeks, and we get feedback every two to right. three weeks, and we get out. You know that it's a it's a pretty aggressive cycle of uh, you know production deployments, especially in our industry, right?
0: Let's talk more about leadership. Typically, the people that are listening to the show are either CTOs that want to hear from other CTOs, or VPs of engineering, or first-time managers, or people that want to become managers. So definitely, people who are interested in technology and leadership. And one of the biggest pieces of feedback I get as far as guests coming on and sharing stories, is that it's really, really helpful when people share mistakes that they've made as a leader. Yeah. Maybe one that they've m- made multiple times and they've had to learn the lesson and then they finally picked up on it. Do you have any of those? I mean, we all have our uh,
1: share, of, uh, share of mistakes. Uh, you know, the two things I'll tell you. The first one is, the quicker you can learn from them and then the stronger the surround team around you, the easier it is to deal with mistakes and learn from them. So I've been fortunate throughout my career uh, to, to identify the mistakes pretty quickly, as well as have a group of people around me that are pretty straightforward and come to me and tell me, hey, look, this, this is going sideways, right? So, uh, you know, for instance, uh, in my very first company that went public, right, about halfway down our path, AWS was beginning to become mainstream, right? Uh, so I had a true choice. Do I uh, switch over to the public cloud or uh, do I continue with my private cloud uh, journey, right? Uh, at that time, and in fact, it was proven for the next three, four years when AWS went through certain cycles and there were certain challenges in, uh, you know, in, in managing that stack and their uptime and everything, availability, um, that uh, my initial decision to go stick with the public cloud with all the instrumentation I had hand-built uh, in the public, uh, in the private cloud, uh, would be the right way to go, and I was pretty certain about it when we went IPO. I told people, look, it happened because we had control over our uh, infrastructure. Uh, but looking back, right, as a company that has is still there, I think that probably put a lot of pressure later in that public cloud journey. So today, I look at those decisions with a lot more uh, care, a lot more long term view in mind. Right, even here in Capital One, when I look at uh, what visualization tool am I using, uh, or what uh, stack choice am I making in terms of, uh, uh, you know, am I rollback access controls? And I look at those things. I look at not what I know for sure in the next, uh, you know, two years maybe, but I look more in terms of optionality in the long term. That's a lesson that I learned that you know uh, you cannot optimize. I mean, the de- the deficit that you build, which becomes debt over time. Uh, when you make those decisions, uh, which you think at the time are right, get to be, become a problem. Uh, and the biggest, a lot of people say, hey, the quick learner, the right way to, for me, I've, that's worked for me, is surrounding myself with people who are smart and who are not afraid to pull me up and say, have you thought through this, right? So that's a big lesson. So that I, I surround myself with people, I hire people, I work for people that do that all the time, That uh, that question me, that make sure that I have the right motivations in mind. And even if it's suboptimal, at least we all know where the suboptimality is, so we can go back and fix it. So I mean, I would tell you that that I probably should have jumped on the public slot sooner than I did. It would have might have delayed the IPO, but it would have been long term good for the company, right? So I uh, learned from that. Uh, obviously, my next journey with, with Blue Yonder, which I which, which I talked about, we're all in on Azure. I knew right up front that I am not going to go and and try to do any of these things on my on my own, and that turned out to be an amazing amazing partnership with Microsoft. So had mistakes uh, in the past, but thankfully nothing that was huge in terms of my career or the company itself. And uh, most of which I overcame with good people around me.
0: That's brilliant advice. Let's wrap up a little bit here. Is there anything else going on at Capital One that you want to get out there to the world? Or do you want to tell people, are you guys hiring? Or are you looking for people for your team?
1: Of course, I mean, we are always hiding in this space. You're always, you're always looking for uh, talent. This is a talent game. At the end of the day, right? Software is you're arbitrating people's uh, brain power and skill for, uh, you know, that that's what you're doing. Right? You're just bringing people without people, you don't have software. So we're always uh, looking for that, and uh, it's a exciting space to be in. We have a very strong, powerful roadmap for Slingshot. What it's going to do in the Snowflake ecosystem with partnership with Snowflake that's coming up and there is new products that are going to come out uh, that's going to help us uh, you know get broader into the data management space i'll say stay tuned uh, we'll be out there in the waves you know letting people know what uh, what what's coming out and uh, you know if you're excited about this problem if you want to solve complex data management challenges in the cloud uh, you know uh, we are here please uh, reach out and we'll be happy to have a conversation